Welcome to Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives, a podcast dedicated to the testimonies of believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Arlenis Bucklew. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Ordinary People with Extraordinary Lives. I am your host, Arlenis Bucklew, and thank you so much, friends, for listening or for watching this podcast. And if you're listening for the first time, thank you for joining us. It is a joy that you are here on today's episode. We would love to stay in touch with you guys. And the best way that we can do that is by simply following us on social media. And you can do that right after this episode by going on the links here on the description. And if you would like to continue supporting our podcast, here are some of the ways that you can do that. Please be praying for us and for our guests as they come to share their testimony. You are also helping right now by listening to the podcast. So make sure that you share with your friends and family and also on your social media, if you are on social media, of course. Uh, you can also subscribe for monthly donations either on Patreon or on the Anchor podcast. And you can do that right after this episode by visiting the links here on the description. And well, now we can move on to introducing my guest for today. And today I have Jason from the Dear Woke Christian podcast and also his YouTube channel. And while J Jason says that he started this podcast and his YouTube channel in 2020 as a response to the turmoil of 2020. Uh, he saw the error in thinking within the Christian community, and he wanted to provoke us to think biblically about those issues. And well, I'm so excited for us to get to know Jason um, and to hear his testimony of how the Lord brought him out of darkness into light, but also of how, you know, just giving us more information about his YouTube channel and how the process was for starting it and all of that. All right, friends, thank you so much again for joining us. And here is my conversation with Jason. All right, friends, and I am here with Jason. Jason, thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast. It's really a joy to have you. Finally. I, am, I am glad to be here on the show. Thank you so much for putting up with me and, and rescheduling and all that kind of stuff to get me on here. So I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Yeah, very excited. I got to meet you at the G3 conference this year. So yeah. that was, uh, you were sitting at the BART Network. <laughs> Uh, a, a bar imposter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I kind of picked on you a little bit at the G3 conference. Right. And right. then we hit it off. <laughs> and now we and now we're here. So clearly I yeah. didn't run you away. Uh, I didn't run no, you no, off. No. So there we go. Yeah. I actually heard the first time I ever heard about your channel was uh at the time when we were working on the marketing for the Sister Church movie. Mm -hmm. And one of the girls brought up your channel and I'm oh like, gosh. oh, who is that? Uh, and then I remember adding you on the list and I was like, okay, uh, I'll see if I can find a contact, reach out. Oh. I did, but I got to see oh, she's at the say it. conference <laughs> and it was funny because somebody had come to the, so this is how it happened. It was pretty okay. funny. I thought it was hilarious because here I am. I, you know, uh, I didn't, I'm like, I've seen this guy, but where have I seen him? Like, I just see you there sitting. Witness protection. I know, right? I'm like, I'm right. trying to figure it out who this man is. So somebody from uh, who was attending the conference came up to the Barrett Network and they're like, hey, are you Jason from like the Dear, you know, Dear Woke uh, Christian and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, Dear Woke Christian? That sounds familiar. And then it clicked. <laughs> that guy's supposed like, to be a witness. That guy was supposed to email me back. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, are you the you one responsible? Are you the yeah. one responsible for the dear woke Christian? That's you know, exactly what yes. happened. 
It's but a good pointing thing. in my face and everything. Like you didn't email me back. Like, and oh, you're like, man, yeah, you're is right. that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm like, I don't know. It depends. <laughs> Did you get like, my uh, email? <laughs> oh no. No, oh, brother, man. but uh, <laughs> uh, it was so amazing that you know it's 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 amazing to think about the ways that the Lord bring mm -hmm. believers together and connect with each other, and I am so grateful that I was able to meet you there and now hear about your own testimony and even get to the you know uh, how you came up with uh, your own channel and the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, we will get into all of that later on, but I'm as I normally it. do. I would love for you to go back as far as you can remember from your childhood. <laughs> uh, so let's see how good your memory is. <laughs> trust me, it's not. It's not. I'm already let you down. Go ahead, ask the question. I'm. I, yeah. So just uh, tell us, like, bring us back to your child. You know, your upbringing, your family, oh, yeah. where you're raised in a believing home. Where were you raised, and all of that? Yeah. Got you. So I'm originally from Aurora, Illinois, which is outside of Chicago. I was raised by two unbelieving parents um, in, a, in a suburb that's predominantly, that's a really well mixed as a large Hispanic and Puerto Rican community, as well as black and a mixture of whites as well. I am um, born and raised there. I went to high school there, the whole nine. I decided at really at the tender age of 17 that I did not want to stay here in Aurora until I died. So I decided I want to go to college. And I I just decided literally on a lark. I did not have a well ironed out plan, anything like that. I decided that I wanted to go to college. I applied to several places and I was a fairly decent student in, in high school. So I started applying. I got accepted to some schools, but I wanted this school here in Georgia and they turned me down. Thankfully, um, I was raised in a missionary Baptist church. I was no more saved than flying to the moon. However, I was an active member at the church. And there were, and, and most people experience this when college students would leave or young men or ladies would leave, when they came back, they were almost treated like celebrities, like, oh, so-and-so's back from college. And there were two young men that attended the college that I wanted to attend that came, that attended the Baptist church that I attended and they wanted to help me out. One of them um, was extremely helpful and helped me kind of iron out my, cause I'm going into my senior year of high school, really iron out my approach. But he said, you should try this thing called prospective student seminar. You should go down there where they allow you, even if you're not a student, even if you have been accepted, they allow you to come down for two weeks and you can kind of get a feel for the school and they allow you an opportunity to pitch yourself to and whatnot. So speeding it all forward, I came to Prospective Student Seminar. I get here and this is my first time ever in Georgia, really on my own. And I absolutely loved it. I called my mom, collect at that time and said, I'm probably never gonna come back. I'm probably never gonna come back. I love it here. Um, yes, I did go back and finish high school. However, I knew I was gonna come back here. So I went to Prospective Student Seminar, um, I made my pitch to the provost and the dean, and they said no again. So now this is my second turndown letter uh, from the school. And the next day I was getting back on the plane, going back home, got on the plane, went back home. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I really, really, truly want to attend this college. And when I got home, there was an acceptance letter in the mailbox. So I don't know. They shanghaied me, I guess. 
And I've seen I've seen that dean for many years since then, and it's always a joke. Like, dude, you really set me up. So now that I'm an, an alumni and I actually have a daughter that's potentially going to go to our sister school, um, it's a joke. But so, yes, I'm a proud member of Morehouse College. I'm a graduate of the class of 1999. I uh, came here in 1993. I did all the dumb things that. Um, young students do. I came here and I didn't have a good plan. I didn't have a good thought about what I was going to do to stay in school. So after the first year of school, I was hit with the infamous balance. And that's just that where your financial aid were and where the tuition were, they're not meeting. And you got to fill in that gap. I had no idea how to fill it in. So, but what I knew I was going to do was I was going to stay here in Georgia because I absolutely loved it here. I told my mom and dad, I think I was supposed to be born in the South. I'm, I was supposed to be born in the South because this is this is it. So I stayed here for two years and I worked and lived off. I lived in an apartment, worked hard, and I paid off the infamous balance. Came back in um, 1997 and worked like the Dickens to graduate in and did summer school. I was able to do summer school during that time and um, worked like the Dickens to graduate in 1999. Mm -hmm. And so. I um, graduated as a um, elementary school teacher. Early childhood ed was my major. I uh, taught in Atlanta public schools as well as Fulton County schools and then ended my career at a uh, private school here in Smyrna, Georgia. Um, mm. That is that. All that time, I was a, a false convert. I thought I was a believer. I, I was... All of my faith was put in that when I was a young boy, I prayed a prayer and I had my, my Bible and I could point to the day that I prayed that prayer and I wrote my name on the scroll, um, but I wasn't a believer. So all of that time and providentially, God allowed me to stay alive because I did a lot of dumb stuff that uh, I shudder to think if any one of those moments had gone a different direction and I closed my eyes for the last time, I would have been looking at his face in judgment and wrath rather than grace and peace as I'm, as I am now. So um, that is how I got, uh, I was, how I was born, I was raised and got here to Georgia. Um, and, and that's how it. We, Go ahead. Sorry. So you, you mentioned your parents, you said they, they were not believers, right? That is correct. They were not believers. So how, how was that environment for you growing up? Like, what was life before Christ like for you? What Just your, eight, like? your atypical living life. Um, we would go to church. Um, you know, we'd go to church on Sunday, kind of out of out of ritualistic practice. And I want to see my friends. And it's what you're supposed to do on Sunday. Not because I'm drawn to gather with the ecclesia and worship God, but I'm there because they have really good uh, Sunday school and really good um, lunch on Sunday evening and stuff like that. But, um, you know, my family was for the most part, decent people. My dad is still not a believer mm -hmm. and he would, he was, he just didn't believe you did the unbelieving things. So, uh, fill in the blanks. My dad did it. My mom wasn't a believer at the time, fill in the blanks. My mom did it. Um, but by God's grace, the Lord has saved my mother and we're still praying for my father. The, um, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like trite about it, but 
We were just an unbelieving black family in Aurora, Illinois, which tend to be uh, many of us. Uh, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. Um, so at what point and how then did you realize, you know, when is it that the Lord made, you know, help makes you realize like, well, I am truly not saved all this time. I thought that, you know, I was going to go mm -hmm. to heaven. If I had died that I would have gone to heaven, but it would have been the, all the opposite. So how do you come to understanding of where of your stand before God that I am a sinner who would probably just go straight to hell? Yeah. So all this time I was doing religious activities, singing in the gospel choir, and I, I can't carry a note, um, <laughs> doing all these things that, because I didn't want to be with the party people. And I, I decided I didn't want to join a fraternity, but on the same note, I was with these Christian people, and I'm using that term extremely loosely, but Christian people doing Christian things. So, you know, gospel choir uh, we would go to a pentecostal church on sunday and stuff like that there's just a lot of religious activity and i got caught up in a um a parachurch ministry so basically it was like a campus ministry that had had no affiliation with a, a particular church so it's like bible studies and stuff like that and uh summer conferences and, and spring break conferences and stuff like that missions trips but it really wasn't affiliated with the church at the time and got connected with them and again like he kept you out of trouble so i don't have it you know like all my kids are are less aged than me and my wife's marriage so i don't have to worry about that kind of stuff so it was almost and almost like if you don't want to be in trouble you hang out with these people to keep you out of trouble okay so mm -hmm. so we're in this parachurch ministry and eventually it started um, becoming clear that the leaders of this parachurch ministry were a part of a church in Richmond, Virginia. Mm, okay. Awesome. And they were moving to Atlanta to start a church. Okay. So it, what ended up happening was the college ministry, let's say it might've been like 50 students from Morehouse and Spelman and Clark Atlanta university. The, the college students were almost being pulled into the church at that moment. I thought I was all good sunshine and rainbow. So it made sense. The problem was it wasn't really a good church and it wasn't foundational. It was, it was just your, your run of the mill, not name it, claim it, but they, they subscribe to a lot of the positive confession and um, speaking in tongues. It's like a, it's like a hodgepodge church mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were experienced. That's what we're used to now. Cause we'd come out of, a lot of us had been going to the um, Pentecostal church, which was right near campus. So all of us kind of went there and then we were kind of drawn to this, this non-denominational thing. This is when non-denominational churches were really starting to uh, start the upswing. Mm -hmm. And so we went to this non-denominational church and um, which used to be the campus ministry. And now it's like this church thing. And it was, and everybody was young and all that kind of stuff. And everybody, it was like, oh, this is exactly as we were transitioning, even out of college, it made sense. Like, oh yeah, this is, everybody's almost in the same space in life, if you will. Uh, you know, three and five guys all living in an apartment, keeping the rent low, working hard. And mm. the same thing with the ladies. And then eventually people would start getting married and you were going through life together. Mm -hmm. Made sense. Perfect sense. Um, the, these, these very self-actualized pat on the back sermons, you know, you can, you can do your best thing, whatever, whatever. Uh, it was Joel Osteen well before Joel even cut his teeth. <laughs> then one day that we were meeting like at conference centers and, uh, 
uh, uh, ballrooms and hotels and stuff like that. And then one day I remember when the speaker there stood up and said, I read this book that's completely changed my life and it's going to change the way we do church. And it was the purpose driven church book. And to this day, to this very moment, I wish I had got up and walked out of that church that day. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it would have changed everything that I experience now, but I wish I got up and walked out. I tell people all the time, purpose-driven church is the problem itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know that a lot of people disagree with me about the way Rick Warren did that, but purpose-driven church creates the problems that a lot of these churches have. Not saying that there weren't already problems in denominationals. But that he was the, the jet fuel for non-denominational church. And what ended up what ended up happening is literally in the beginning portion of that book, it says church is for the non-believer. Mm. <laughs> and therein is the problem. Mm-hmm. So you have churches or these these when Sunday gatherings, these Wednesday gatherings that are full of people that are not Christian, but you need all of this ministry work. So you need somebody to park your cars. You need somebody to rock your babies. You need somebody to do all this stuff. And what kind of people you have in there? Unbelievers. Well, what do unbelievers do? They sin. And they, and they do it pretty well, especially if they're not being restrained by the power of the Holy Spirit through conversion. So we ended up being in this church for 10 plus years, and we would see like cycles of sin where the pastor would get caught up in some kind of extramarital affair. And there would be like this large culling of the herd of like some of the people that I grew up with, remember yeah. that, that was coming in with, and they would, they would just fall off. Mm-hmm. And then, but the church would keep going. Cause it was, it was the first black purpose-driven church period. So this is like the early days of Rick Warren. Like he might've got the paper copy, the manuscript mm-hmm. copy of Purpose Driven Church. That's how early this was. So the, we, we were like the prototype of the black purpose driven non-denominational church. I mean, non-denominational church that followed the purpose driven model. But there would be these cycles of sin. Every couple of years, three or four years, pastor would get caught up and it would be this big culling a herd. But because it was like a club, I really wish I was joking. When I say it was like a club, I mean, you could on any given Sunday, you would have a line of people lined up to get into church. It is, I'm sure you've probably seen how um, Hillsong New York is when they have the lines, it's like a bouncer. We were doing that well before Hillsong ever. And it was crazy. And, And it was always hopping. The music was always energetic. It was always, so if, if, if 50 people left, it didn't matter. If if a hundred people left, it didn't matter because this week you would see just that many more come in and join. So, well, what happens is those people were more solid, if you will. So the solid people were leaving and you're getting flakier people and flakier people and flakier people. And the sin cycle just kept going. And the reason I say the purpose-driven church has baked into it, it's own demise is because there is no church discipline. There Mm -hmm. is no way for me to say, Hey, brother, so-and-so is sleeping with sister, this and that, and this has to stop. Mm -hmm. There's no way to do it because you know why? Because everybody else is in sin because everybody else just got saved last Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So 
lo and behold, by um, man, this is probably the, um, my wife and I were both serving in various capacities in ministry. Lo and behold, I, I stopped. I was I was serving over the ushers, and I stopped serving altogether. I just there was just something just wasn't right. I was looking for another church. My wife and kids were were happy as clams here. I'm like, I, I want another church, but I also wanted a purpose driven church because I had not yet come to realize that purpose driven was the problem. So, by God's grace, I stayed there. Then there was yet another sex scandal. And this one right here hit differently for some reason or another. They only called the leaders in, and it was right before church. So let's say church was at, I don't remember, nine o'clock. And let's say at like 745, they had a meeting with the leaders. And I remember my wife calling me to say that the, the pastor's wife, the church attorney, and another person came out on stage and just read a statement to them told them what they're going to say and said, okay, we got to get ready to go to church, start service at nine o'clock. And she told me that I said, baby, I'm, I'm never coming back. I will never come back in that building. Mm. And for the most part, I have, I never did, mm -hmm. but um, I said, I don't care. But somehow or another things started pricking. just like, like a scab or like a, a gnat bothering you. And I started looking at the sermons that they were preaching. I'll, I'll tell you what it was. Somebody started antagonizing me about um, a principle that many people, many people in your audience would probably think is truly a biblical principle. And he said, you do realize the book doesn't say that though, right? What are you talking about, you crazy clown? I whipped that book open. I flipped over to Malachi and I said, look, it says it right there. He said, why don't you read the whole thing he said it's only four chapters why don't you read the whole all four chapters and i read i was like oh my gosh this doesn't say what i've been told it's been said saying because i had never read it that was the other thing about purpose driven is you don't read through passages like large swaths of scripture it's topical spiritual hopscotch all the time you're just jumping around the book so you never actually read Malachi. I read, I'm like, this doesn't say what we've been told. That's a way. And for some reason or another, I started asking, what else has he been lying to me about? Mm. And then I started paying attention to the sermons. Now, most purpose-driven churches at that point, th this is before sharing sermons got, you know, before they got in trouble for it. Rick Warren used to actually have a website where you could grab his sermons and preach his whole series. It was called uh, um, Pastor's Toolbox, and um, or pastors.com, I'm sorry, was the name of the website. Anyway, um, I started paying attention, like, wait, every year, because we, we would get these meticulous notes, and we would always be taking notes. We we're happy little scribes taking notes. And every we realized that every February, he preached the same four sermons. Every December, he preached the same five sermons. There, nothing, maybe it was like a, but the, the notes were literally the same because we would have like these little notebooks. We were so meticulous. We we're so proud of ourselves to keep all your notes. And I'm like, wait, he's not teaching us anything new. I, I mean, 52 weeks, literally, I, I went through and I'm like, 
because I, I still have my notebook for some time. I'm like, yo, these are the exact same sermons. Now, maybe, maybe you'll update it and print it on some newer ink or print it with another passage or another translation, but nothing was really different. And th that came at me at the exact same time that my wife had the, the meeting with the leadership. And I said, I could do church bad by myself. I could do this at home because I just knew that he was only preaching, you know, these little topical whatevers, such a boondoggle. So I tried to preach. I tried to have my family stay at home with us for a month. It was so laborious to get them, to get the girls to come from upstairs to come down to the living room every Sunday. It was like, I said, this is horrible. Like when we didn't have anywhere to go, it just became no. I was like, yo, let's come on down here. Come on, uh, family, family worship time. Hello, hello. I mean, like crickets, crickets. <laughs> and so it just, it, it just became, I said, you know what? Oh, and, and at this point, my oldest daughter was going to a, uh, a Christian school um, in Smyrna. And so at this point, I said, you know what? We got to find, um, um, we got to find somewhere to go. But I knew I wasn't going to a purpose-driven church because now I, because before I would have just got sucked right into another purpose-driven church and wouldn't have known what was going on. So I said, okay, I know what I don't want. I knew nothing about Presbyterianism, nothing about Reformed Baptist, none of that stuff. I had started by God's providence, the gateway drug to um, uh, Reformed theology, which are sermon jams on YouTube. And I would, I would listen to these Paul Washer things and uh, Vody Bach. I'm like, man, I like this, this kind of preaching. I don't know what this is, but I, I like it. I, I, I think at that point, I had probably went through all of the book of John with um, Dr. MacArthur. I'm like, yo, this is really neat. Like, this is cool because I can follow along. And, and they're, they're leaning so heavily on the book, not on notes and all that kind of stuff. Man, that is great. Man, I wish I could find something like that. So... That was going on in, in the back of my head and trying to get the girls to come out of their rooms to come downstairs <laughs> to church was a fail. I said, we got to go somewhere. So I said, um, our daughter goes to this church. Let's go check this church out. Cause we, um, they, they, they catechize her. I said, I don't know what that means. I don't know if they turn them into Catholics. I don't, I don't know what catechize me, but it sounds good. I didn't have a problem with it. And she was doing this Bible memorization. And it was, it, I was like, you know, let's go check them out. Because at that point, we thought the church and the school were together. I said, oh, but, okay. So if the, we like what they do it Monday through Friday, so Sunday shouldn't be a problem. Mm -hmm. So we went there. And the median age of the church was probably about 80. Okay. Um, and there were people there. And I joke about it now. I tell people all the time, there were people there that didn't know I was a free, that I was a free black man. Um <laughs> I'm sorry. It was extremely old, but you know what though? They were extremely kind. Mm. They were very kind to me and my family. Uh, not like, Oh my gosh, a black family. We got to go and, and be over the top. They just were nice people. I was like, you know what? Hey, okay. This is kind of cool. And the thing that stood out to me the most was the singing and the preaching because we sing in hymnals. And so they would do these, they would sing out these hymnals. And let me tell you, I absolutely abhorred it. It's slow. 
And it's, it's like, dang, can we get to speed this up some? Come on. But at the top of every one of those hymns, there was a Bible passage. And I said, wow, the author or the, the author, whoever collated the book, took enough time to say, this passage is related to this hymn. I said, wow, you know what? They really mean business here. Okay. And the next thing was that really, and singing was okay. But the thing that really grabbed me was when he preached. So um, when, when we came to Smyrna Press, he was preaching through the book of Mark. And let's just say he was in Mark chapter one, verses one through eight. Okay, I was like, well, okay, I can dig it. I can follow along. If somebody asked me at work the next day, what's your pastor preach about? I could just open up the Bible and share with them. It didn't have to tell them about their trip to Disney World or what's going on with him trying to cut his grass, anything like that. It was like out of the book. I was like, that's kind of cool. And then I was like, yeah, and I said, this is kind of what I was watching on the sermon jams. So, okay. You know, I'm getting my fix. I like it. So for some reason or another, we missed the next two weeks. We came back. He's on Mark chapter five, verses 38 to 42. He did not stop. I was like, oh no, he's going to preach through the whole book of Mark. He's not going to jump over the boring parts or get to the more interesting. He literally preached through the entire book of Mark. I said, oh, I got it. Okay, I can dig it. So this is what I watched when I watched Pastor John go through the book of John. Like, oh, I got it. I, I'm, I can dig it. And we've been there ever since. So and all of this, uh, this whole journey of getting out of that church and all of that, are you still not a believer or are you a believer so, by that point? That's a perfect point. As we were leaving from... Uh, the church that we were at to move into Smyrna Press. That's when it came, like, I had that moment of like, yo, I am not in Christ. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not trusting in his finished work. I'm not trusting that the Lord forgives sinners. Those who come to him will find safety. I'm trusting that I prayed a prayer when I was a little boy. I'm trusting that I've done enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff that I've also done. So, yo, I'm not, a, I'm not in Christ. And we had a, a actually when I met with my pastor, who, who is now my pastor, we, we talked about that. And that, that, that is when I, I don't, I can't say, oh yeah, on this day at this time, but I know that my eyes were open to the fact that, yo, I was not saved. I was not a believer. And I can tell you now that I am saved. I am a believer that the Lord has by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has regenerated my heart. When I knew that my heart was not regenerated, I was truly lost in sin before doing all those works, doing all those things, shaking babies and kissing hands, doing all that stuff in the, in the work of the quote unquote ministry. But I know good. Well, I was not a believer. So people ask me, cause I've been saved for eight years. So wait, but wait, wait, um, back in college, you know what? I've been saved for eight years. Somebody asked me at homecoming, this past weekend, I've been saved for eight years <laughs> and wow. that is it. So I don't, now the Lord might say it was nine years and seven months, or the Lord might say, no, when you, you know what? I know that I can say that that's when the Lord regenerated my heart. Yeah. So in all that time, when all of this was going on in your head, like something must be wrong with this church. Were you at that point, like, were you reading the Bible? Were you uh, doing, like, what was informing your mind 
for you to realize i don't think this is a solid church i don't think this is the real deal basically like this is not a biblical church thank you so as i said before when i started looking at and paying attention to sermon jams and 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 sermons online i'm like wow they're going through the whole book like they're going through the book the entire thing mm -hmm. and I, I mentioned to my wife i said you do realize that we never read the bible mm -hmm. here we read parts of it we and, and and even truth be told we didn't read the bible because they would take it and put it on the notes remember so they would have like passages on the notes but they would never actually sit down and say, okay, open up the book and you hear the pages turning or, or whatnot. And so I realized that I don't read the Bible. I don't read it. I know where it is. I had one on my shelf. Sure. But I don't read it. I don't sit down and, and, and meditate on it and go through it and plow through it. And that's actually when I started reading through the scripts on a regular basis on daily devotions, going through the McCain Bible plan. I started that because I knew that I wasn't reading the Bible on a regular basis. So there's a lot of overlap from when I realized that, yo, the book of Malachi doesn't say what I thought it said. And yo, I, um, this is not real good preaching to, Hey, I don't read the Bible. There's a lot of overlap in those, in, in that Venn diagram to bring me to the point of here I am today. Yeah. And for what you mentioned before, also like before Christ, all of your life was all, workspace basically yeah, uh, yeah you were working to for salvation i guess and then so how did you see your the lord changing you or what were some of the changes that you started to notice after the lord finally saved you and finally realized i'm not a true believer all this time i've just been deceiving myself and thinking that i was saved but i'm not so how, what are some of the changes that you started noticing i noticed that i was it no longer became a works issue like i know that i'm I'm trusting that I'm saved because I've done, I've checked so many boxes. I've done so many great things. That's how I know I'm saved. It went from that to Christ put all the check, the whole thing. And, and that, that test has been passed by my Lord. And now I am serving my wife and my kids and my community out of a love and appreciation for what he has done for me. Once that, that became very clear to me rather than I'm doing these things to militate my salvation to, to be able to say yo let me in pete let me in saint peter because i've done all these great things no i've done nothing i've only done the sin that crucified my lord and i'm only clothed in his righteousness now so that was the biggest aha moment i tell people all the time when the things that you used to love you now despise and the things that you despise at one moment or shunned are the things that you crave and desire to be around. That's a really good indicator that your heart has been regenerated, that you you can really, you can probably put a pin like, yeah, I used to not want to read God's word. Now I'm like, yo, give me, can I get some more of it? I didn't like to listen to preaching. Yeah, can I get a little bit, an extra sermon? Can I go to the Wednesday, Sunday night sermon? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. When you see those kind of changes, they're not guaranteed, but that's probably a really good breadcrumb that that's where, some change and transformation has happened. Yeah. You just start hating the things that God hates and loving the things that God loves, right? Yes. Uh, yes. You follow the steps of your master, which is now Jesus Christ is our Lord and master of yes. our lives. Um, so you said that you've been at the church now, the the one for ever since then, how yeah. are you and your wife then involved there? Are you guys, uh, you know, involved in any ministry at the church mm -hmm. and so on? 
Gotcha. So uh, we've been at Smyrna Press for about nine years. Let me see. My big girl is in a junior in high school. She was in first grade. So no, that's actually some, wait, that's some bad math, Jason. We've been there about <laughs> 10 years now. Think about it. My goodness. We've been there a while. I know we, we've been there just slightly like six months less than the pastor. So, cause he came about six months before us. So if I text him real quick and ask him how long he's been there, I'm, I know I'm six months less than that, but um, I am a deacon and this is my, it's my third year. I'll, um, I just was reelected as a deacon. Um, my wife and kids are all just participants, but um, because of other responsibilities, but um, that's what I do um, for, for my church. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. And, and that's the most important part, right? That as believers, if we are true followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be part of a local body. Yes. And I think we saw that being so much more needed uh, during the 2020 lockdowns, right? Oh, Which absolutely. now brings me to your channel. And now that also, also it's available on um, um, Spotify. Yep. So, cause I know that you started it in 2020. So tell me a little bit about why do you make the decision to make this YouTube channel? What is it that, you know, what is it about? What are some of the things that you, you know, issues that you bring on your, on your channel and so on? I love it. So my channel is called Dear Woke Christian. I got my Dear Woke Christian shirt on. And during 2020, I've always been somebody that just looks, wants to look at situations, um, and get as much information as I possibly can. Sure, there's some instances where I fly off the handle and I don't have all of the good information, but I try my best not to make that a practice. So in 2020, I attended a church that at that time was more white than, than anything else, okay? And um, it was not well mixed, if you will. And I noticed that I was getting phone calls from people at my church that were asking me things like, how are you doing? Is everything all right? Can I do anything for you? And I said, um, everything's fine. I mean, my bills are paid. What, what, what are you talking about? And I realized that they were responding because of what they had seen happen um, with the George Floyd event. Um, I can't tell you how many cups of coffee I had during that time. And I, I realized that that was what they were responding to. And I said, oh, wait, oh, hold on, hold on. Oh, I got you. Just because he he and I have the same melanin complex, that does not mean that he represents me. Mm. And just because you might have the same melanin complex as those police officers, that does not mean that does not represent you. Uh, the only person that represents me is me. And the most important person that represents me is Christ. The only two people. So, uh, no, 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 no. And I had to tell people, stop. And I started, and sometimes I like to antagonize people. So I, I, I went on Twitter literally every day and I would write these messages to woke Christians. And I'd say, dear woke Christian, how do you give the gospel to a white person that you just told was a racist? Mm. Or dear woke Christian, I started doing those. Um, and somebody just out of the blue said, man, this was very helpful. I would do this every day, just pick fights every day. Um, and somebody said, you know, this was really helpful. You should write a book. So nobody would read a book for me. I'm just being, I'm just being a nuisance. Nobody wants it. Nobody's going to read a book. Um, but I refused to participate in the 
shenanigans of people that look like me. But I said, you know what? I'm not gonna write a book. I'll write a blog. I got an idea. I'll write a blog about it. And just so happened that for some reason or another, I had a free account and I, I searched for Dear Woke Christian and it was available. Wow. I said, wow, okay. All right, so I'll take this as a sign. Like, oh, like the light shining down. I will start a blog. And so I started writing, taking those messages and write them as a blog and just antagonize the situation. Like, this is not Christianity, people. Like, to, to look at a brother or sister who just last year you were perfectly fine with, but now because of some event that had nothing to do with you, nothing to do with them, you now deal with them differently. That's not Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so um, started that and somebody else just out of the blue said, man, you should uh, put these on, 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 a, on a podcast. And I said, as I said before, nobody would listen to me on a podcast. <laughs> and I just messed around and I said, you know, you can make a free channel on YouTube. I didn't know that. And I already had Dear Woke Christian as the email and I went on YouTube and lo and behold, now I'm here causing trouble. Um, <laughs> so Dear Woke Christian is meant to point out that we as Christians and in Christ, we don't have to behave like the world. And actually we're, we're commanded not to behave like the world. We are commanded to behave differently. So whatever the issue might be, and a lot of the time people's issues, they're, they're live action role-playing. They're just picking something from history and they're reenacting it so they can, they can be frustrated and they can be upset and they can be offended, but it has nothing to do with you. So leave it alone. So Dear Well Christian was meant to push the issue that we as Christians should not behave like the world. So if you're identifying as a woke Christian, we already have a problem because you shouldn't be a black Christian, a white Christian, a woke Christian, or, or whatnot. You should be a Christian. So that's how I started the channel. And that's how we ended up getting here, which is me just Again, putting out videos. And, and what I usually do is I'll review the sermons, I'll review lectures, TED Talks, books, movies, anything in that woke ideology or progressive Christianity space. And my goal, my hope is to help people, first of all, feel comfortable in saying, no, George Floyd doesn't represent me. Or this person that, sure, that's a, a person with less melanin. They did something bad. That's true. But that doesn't reflect me. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to say that. And you're not going to be called a mean name. We're not in third grade anymore. So they can call you racist. Just ask them to define it. And then you'll see their brains short circuit because there's no definition. These people just make up words. So therefore, ignore them. But even greater than that, we as the body of Christ should be able to demonstrate and represent what Christ-like forgiveness looks like, because I shudder to think that while I was lost in my sin, that Christ would have dealt with me as y'all are dealing with a white person, as y'all are dealing with, you do realize that you're just a sinner too, right? (laughs) You do realize that. And the only, the bad thing is that this person's sin got caught on camera. This person's sin got caught on a hot mic but your sin is just as bad. Your sin, because you're you're lost. You're lost. So it's not that 
this person went to hell because they did something bad in a 12 second clip. No, this person was rejected Christ and therein is their problem. So Dear Woke Christian is meant to push that conversation out there into the forefront of how do we deal with these spicy topics? How do we deal with these, these um, cultural issues in a Christ-honoring, glorifying manner? And so that's, uh, that's how we got here. And how can they find uh, your uh, channel, podcast? Okay. So um, DearWokeChristian.com is my website. And Dear Woke Christian is the YouTube channel. I also have Dear Woke Christian podcasts as well. And um, I keep them up pretty, pretty regularly. And actually, I'm in the process of updating the website so that it can be a, a landing page for all of Dear Woke Christian content, whether it be blog writing or books or whatever like that. All of that will be found on DearWokeChristian.com. So if you can't find me on YouTube, which for some reason or another, you, I don't know why you wouldn't. But you can find me at dearwoldchristian.com for sure. Yeah. And the links will be here also on oh, the description for this YouTube, uh, for this channel, uh, this episode. I so, love it. Uh, it will be there included in there. Um, all right. So let's move on to my signature question for the podcast. So favorite books or books that have been helpful for you? Wow. Okay. Um, I'm currently reading and I'm still doing it. I read a book a week. Okay. Um, so these books behind me are all have been read. Okay, man. Every time this question is asked, I feel like I give a different answer, but <laughs> good. Okay. You can get to mention all of your favorite books. <laughs> okay. I know this is going to be really weird. I absolutely love John Bunyan. Mm. I love John Bunyan. I, I seriously hope that we are able to meet our brothers and sisters in the Lord in heaven. Cause I think I'm, I got a bear hug for John Bunyan. I just love the way he writes. He writes so fun. Oh my goodness. So John Bunyan, um, Holy War is such a wonderful allegory of our Christian journey. I actually, I actually challenge that is better than Pilgrim's Progress, even though Pilgrim's Progress is a top tier book. I think Holy War, the only reason is Holy War is extremely long. That's it. It's a very long book. And I think whereas Pilgrim's Progress, because I have like three copies of Pilgrim's Progress, right? But I, I was collecting them. I was, I was like, why do I keep getting copies of this? If I went to a thrift store and I found it, I would buy it. But anyway, um, Holy War is a great example of our, the, the Lord's moving and, and saving us and rescuing us and moving us closer and further along into sanctification. It's wonderful. Of course, Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I would also say Preaching to the Choir by John Svensson, which is a fantastic book by a Presbyterian pastor in California, uh, talking about the importance of why Christians need to hear the gospel all the time. That opened my eyes. Like, I, I would think that most of us probably would have said that, oh, once you hear the gospel and you get converted, that's it. That's that's baby step. That's kindergarten. Now you're able to move on. No. We, we should hear the gospel on a regular basis, an ongoing basis, a regular re repeat, the, the gospel. And John makes the, a solid case for why we should hear the gospel on an ongoing basis. Um, and I know somebody's going to probably pull up one of my other videos where I had like five other books, but those would be my three <laughs> books yeah. that I would say outside of the scriptures. Yeah. 
changed my life. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And uh, three things that bring you joy. Um, hanging out with my family, seeing them, seeing my girls grow up and become young women that are one day very soon going to be leaving out of here um, to go start their own adventures. That That is a joyful experience. Knowing that in the midst of ups and downs, lefts and rights, um, the woman upstairs still puts up with me. And uh, even though she's about to go to a meeting, she'll come back home uh, to me. So knowing that my girls are growing up, knowing my wife puts up with me, but then the very last thing is knowing that I am in Christ. When at one point I was lost in my sin and I didn't even know it. I didn't know that I was lost like a ball in tall weeds. And he rescued me for no other reason, not because I did anything great, not because any of that stuff, but because he wanted to. So that would bring great joy to my heart, knowing that I am in Christ when I've, I don't deserve it. And when I know that I'm interacting with somebody who on my channel is not a believer, or they themselves are just as lost as I was, I can be gracious to them and know that I was just like that. I was just like you. I was lost too. Maybe I'm not using the words that you're using. Maybe I'm not arguing like you're doing, but I was lost just like you. And may, by God's grace, hopefully by interacting with me, you'll say, man, you know what? I thought all Christians were crazy. Let me listen a little bit more about what Jason said. Let me, because uh, I try my best to be as, you know, as respectful as possible. Uh, you know, I tell them all the time, you can use profanity. However, I do ask that you not. And, I, and you can be bombastic, but I ask that you be gracious and listen. And I've had people say, you know what? I came in here hot. And I was going to say that you're uh, a meanie, stupid head, but you know what? You're actually, you're actually a fair dealer. And, and that's at the end of the day, because I needed somebody to do that for me when I was insane, when I was off my rocker and, and, and lost, I needed somebody to be gracious to me and be kind and say, yeah, I want you to get mad, Jason, but I want you to be so mad that you open up the Bible. And that's actually why I tell people all the time, I want you to get mad at me. But I want you to be so mad when I say Jesus was not a revolutionary. When I say that Jesus did not promote social justice. And I want you to get mad at me. I want you to be so mad that you flip open that book to prove me. Oh, wait, it doesn't say that. That's it. So uh, I hope I didn't go too long on that one. No, that was great. All right. And following what you just said so well. Um, obviously this podcast, uh, the focus is to share a testimony that points to, you know, that one person that you were just talking about and that oh, yeah, is for Jesus certain. Christ, right? So why do we all need Jesus Christ? We need Christ because like it or not, know it or not, you are lost in your sin. But even more than that, Christ offers you, Christ offers me the love and acceptance that all of us want. All of us want to know that somebody knows all of us, that is that, that knows all of our ups and downs, our good and our bad, and still accepts us and still wants to bring us near. As much as I love my kids and my wife, 
I, there's certain things they probably don't like my kids joke about. We know nothing about your, your childhood dad is and they'll, they'll joke about that, but Christ knows everything about my childhood, everything about my comings and goings, every thought. And he still died for me. So that being the case, he, he still took on like all of my mess, all of my, my sin and my outright rebellion still provided me salvation. Why would I not? Why would you not embrace a savior that offers you everything and he knows everything about you? Amen. Thank you so much, brother. And it's been such a joy to ha finally have you on the podcast and just sharing, <laughs> uh, you know, your testimony and also even talking about your own channel. And again, friends, if you want to find Jason, just make sure that you uh, go to the links here on the description. Yeah. But before we go, Jason, will you mind just closing us in prayer? Most certainly. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we've had to um, talk about where you've brought me from and how you've graciously, Lord, brought me into your kingdom. I pray, God, that those who are watching this podcast, wherever they are, that they will be encouraged and edified and feel, Lord God, that tug, drawing them closer, Lord God, that they'll consider their own souls, that they will not um, deny the day of salvation, but they will open up their their eyes and they'll pay attention to where you're where you're calling them and that lord god they'll recognize their own state before you and realize that lord if they're willing to repent and turn to you that lord god you're more than gracious to not only receive them but to cleanse them from all unrighteousness lord thank you so much for this opportunity we do appreciate it and thank you in jesus name amen, amen.